Heavenly Father, your Son, Jesus, told us to follow Him, deny ourselves. He told us that He would be with us even until the end of all the ages. He would be with us. And we just ask that you would show us the way to go today. Help us kind of find ourselves today. Help us find the person perhaps we're looking for. Show us who they are. And help us find today even our own family members that are so important. In Jesus' name, we honor your presence here. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Adventure. I'm Scott. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm not Scott. Good to see you. Welcome to Adventures uh, Family 30, our series where we're asking for 30 of your days so we can focus on strengthening your family. 30 days with you, we want to strengthen your family. And today's question is the smart question singles ask, and married couples should keep asking. That's today's question. There'll be seven of those questions uh, for us to engage with today. I heard about Nate Barber. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm going to read it to be precise. Nate says, since I was a little shy when I was in high school, I didn't ask many girls out on dates. So my friend came up to me one day and said, hey, Nate, I've lined you up with a great date Saturday night. It's all set. Everything is perfect. Everything is good to go. And uh, Nate said, who is it? I asked. Well, it turned out to be his cousin, Doris. I'd never met her. In fact, I'd never met anyone named Doris. And, oh, no, I said, I'm not going on a blind date. <sighs> hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about this one, his, my friend said. Doris is a terrific girl, and trust me, she is a babe. Okay. But if you don't believe me, I'll tell you how to get out of this date if you don't like the way she looks, if she doesn't. Yeah, this is what I do. This is uh, Nate's friend telling him, coaching him. I go to the girl's front door to pick her up, and when she opens the door, I check her out. If I like what I see, then great, we're all set. If I don't, then I fake an asthma attack. I go, uh, I start hyperventilating, I, I hold my throat, like I'm having trouble breathing. Then the girl asks, what's wrong? And I say, it's my asthma. And so we're just going to have to call out the date, call off the date, just like that. No problemo. That's how you get out of it. Well, Nate said, I don't know, but okay, it sounds easy enough. I'll do it. So Nate went to pick up Doris. I knocked on the door and within seconds, she was standing right in front of me. I took a look at her and to my surprise, my friend was right She was beautiful. I stood there. I did not know exactly what to say. She looked at me and she started choking. And she grabbed her throat and said, I'm having an asthma attack. We'll have to call off this date. We're all in search, aren't we? I mean, if you're single, perhaps you're in search for the right person. If you're married, I'm going to argue today, you should, you, should, you should keep searching. You should keep finding. The finding isn't over with marriage. One of the, the 
the sayings we're running throughout this whole series is this. You want to strengthen your family? Strengthen your faith. That's something you yourself can own. You strengthen your faith, the cascading domino effect will be on your whole family as you strengthen your faith. And the key verse here for us as it relates to marriage, as it relates to all friendships, is this. Say it with me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a Christ follower, we should always be putting the person beside us in front of us. The golden rule or the royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. What, what is there a more important place for us to exercise that royal law than in our homes, than in our personal relationships, than in our, our search for the right person if we're single, or, or in our own marriage and family life? And so that with that verse, we want to answer this question about singleness and selecting the right mate. Now, some of you might say, what? Ah, why did I come today? Let me tell you, related to this question, we don't talk enough about finding the right person. In fact, kind of in Christendom, we're kind of in the middle of this continuum. Uh, Hey, there's fixed marriages, and then there's a uh, go figure it out. We're kind of in the middle of that and leave a lot of people without clear direction as it relates to how the Spirit of Jesus might lead them, how God might lead them to the right person. And And the second is that this topic, it applies to everyone because on some level or another, you're associated with a marriage, okay? You either have moms and dads who are married, you're married. Uh, You either have, you may have um, someone, you have a boss that's married, a fellow coworker that's married. And so marriage does impact all of us. We want to address this question for that reason. And here's the deal. No one teaches us how to find a mate if you're single, in fact, and, and no one perhaps even teaches us, once we get married, how to keep finding your mate. That's what you're going to hear today. Now, if you're a single adult in your 30s or 40s, let me just say this, or beyond that, you actually are increasingly the majority. You're the majority in culture. And I want to encourage you to know that you're critical at adventure. Because in some cases, you have more time and energy to really give your heart wholeheartedly to the Lord and to serve Him. You matter. You matter not because you're single. You matter because of your place in the body of Christ. Don't be defined by your singleness and don't be in denial about your singleness. Can we go forward with that? If you're married, consider rebooting your marriage with a little romance. I'll give you some ideas today. If you're divorced, consider restoring, re-examining, and returning uh, personally to joy and to hope in your personal life. If you're a 20-something from a broken home, break the cycle. You can do it. If you're a 20-something with a great home, repeat the cycle. If you're you're a 20-something with a home that is somewhere in between, learn to repeat, learn to break what needs to be broken, and repeat what needs to be repeated. Fair enough? So here's the question. What are the smart questions singles ask and married should keep asking? Now, we've got a couple angles we can go with this question. We can ask it as it relates to others. What should, what should a potential partner look like, right? We could say, hey, what should, if I was to marry, what should my top 10 list be? Or top 20? How many of you have one of those? Okay, this is, the, this is my list, okay? Or we could, I think, practice a little more wisdom and, and admit there's only a few things we can control. In fact, sometimes just one. 
You see, as it relates to that question, there are about, there's three things we can't control and one we can't. We can't control the nature of God. He's going to be the same. Agreed? We can't control the truth. It, that's why it's the truth. And it, it remains the same. It's, it's locked in. Okay? We try to change the truth, but we can't. And we can't change others. Can we just all agree to that? If we're struggling with that, can we just say, I'm struggling with it, but I agree. Theoretically, that should be true, right? But here's, here's where we do have leverage. We have leverage over ourselves. And so as we answer this question, what are the smart questions that singles ask and married couples should keep asking? We're going to talk about ourselves. Sound good? So you might hear a point and you're going to be like, oh, that was good. Did you? That was you today, right? Don't do that. In fact, go like this. Oh, that was you today. Oh, yeah, that was, that was me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you, preacher. I needed that. Hit me harder, okay? That, you don't have to say that, but it might be a little entertaining for your spouse to hear that. Okay, so here's where we're at. Here are the seven questions. Here is the first one. Who is in charge of my life? First question. Who is in charge of my life? And Jesus, as, as you may or may not know, in his ministry, he identified Solomon, his great-great-grandfather, as one of the wisest people who ever lived. And Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And let's say it again. He will make your path straight. So the first step in, in, in finding a, a, a mate is asking this question, who's really in charge of my life? Who really has control? Who really has control? Good narratives for this, I think, are Joseph in Genesis, David in 1 Samuel. Help teach us that. Now, let me just ask a few questions if you're single, and if you're, if you're married, you can answer these questions as well. Let's just ask, and I want you to, if you agree, reply by saying amen with me. First question, you are committed to marrying someone who has a real and vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, amen right? They are a functional person. Okay, good, even stronger. Thirdly, they're using their gifts in the church and in the community. Amen. Yeah, we, that would be the ideal person who has made the decision to put God in charge of their life, right? They're other-centered, they're sober-minded, they have a good uh, objective self-esteem, and they have a faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he, I've got bad news and I've got good news. What do you want to hear first? Okay, bad news. The bad news is that with the 8 billion people plus on our planet, probably only in our immediate area, if you're single, there are probably only 50 who are el- eligible <laughs> for this, this particular criteria. Maybe 50 out there, not just... Uh, so, there's probably just 50. All right. You want to hear the good news? Many of them are in our church. <laughs> so on your way out, maximize your time in the lobby. <laughs> All right? There is one, 10 years ago, some of you remember it, one of our workers was awesome. He was serving communion, and I'm not, I'm not trying to set any of our servers up for this today, but he tripped and he dumped communion all over this gal. It was just, oh, he felt so bad. Anyways, they're married now. Try it. Uh, here's the idea. Who's in charge of my life? When I answer the question, who's in charge of my life, and I see someone who's also answered that question the same way I have, that God's in charge of my life, he's the one in control, then I'm, I'm on the path to a great relationship because great relationships are built on unified faith. We don't all have that in our marriage and family life. 
I'll talk about how to deal with that here in a minute. Question number two, who would make me more like Christ? Who would make me more like Christ? Okay, important question. Let's, let's read this passage that Jesus gave to Paul. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Think of yourself with sober judgment. So Christianity teaches not that we're not to have a low self-esteem. We're not to have an overly high self-esteem. We're supposed to have an objective self-esteem. We're supposed to have really good self-awareness. Know where we're strong, know where we're weak. So you want to find someone that compliments you and would help perhaps bring, 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 bring to height some of your strengths. Not just call out your weaknesses. That's really easy. You want someone who actually will drive and elevate your strengths. Not someone who will just, I won't even point, point out your weaknesses. Because that's no fun, is it? I liked Kay Warren's point about this idea of someone who makes me more like Christ. You remember this quote last week when Kay Warren was telling us about her experience being married to, to Rick Warren, the pastor at Saddleback Church in Southern California? She said this using this metaphor that Solomon also uses about relationships, how they sharpen one another. She said, the shrieks of iron sharpening iron have, have often sounded like gears grinding on bare metal, but the result has been profound personal growth in both of us. So expect if you're in a healthy relationship and you've mutually um, agreed that, that you're going to both follow Christ, that there's going to be this shrieking, okay? That it's hard. <laughs> and let me say this. It's hard being single. It's hard being married. It's all hard. Agreed? It's just hard. How many of you think marriage is easy? Good. We're an honest congregation. That's awesome, all right? I, li- I like this idea. As, so how do you know someone is really... Before you get married, how do you know someone is really pursuing Christ? How do you know someone is, is actually positioning themselves to grow in Christ? And, and I like what this Father Pat Connor says when he describes healthy singles and healthy, healthy single men, and I think it would apply to healthy single women. He says this, I'm always amazed at the number of men I've counseled who have no friends. Never marry a man who has no friends. This usually means that he will be incapable of the intimacy that marriage demands. What's he saying? He's saying that before you ever get married, and the way you continue to develop a strong marriage is actually by learning great relationships. Learning to stay in tough relationships. Learning to go through those seasons of offense or forgiveness. It creates security in a person. It creates an ability to not only experience security, but give it to someone else. Great relationships are built by knowing yourself and valuing others. When you do that, you're going to be in a position to help someone else become more like Christ. Because what's that first scripture we read about relationships? That we are to submit, therefore, unto another out of reverence for Christ. Your ability to grow in relationships as a single is the metrics that's going to, and the dashboard that's going to help you prepare for marriage. And it's going to help you find someone that's going to help you become more like Christ. Thirdly, who has similar dreams, direction, and expectations? This is an occasion where Jesus is very direct with us about 
about someone we should not marry. Okay? This is his, his directness about uh, who we should not marry. And he's going to use an, an agricultural metaphor okay, to help us understand this. And some of you, hang on, because there's, there's hope in this passage as well. Read it with me. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Don't be yoked together with unbelievers, okay? Now, you may be in that position now, and I want to speak to that. But what I want to say is that if you yoke yoke yourselves with someone else, this is what it means to be yoked. I know some of you are feeling that awkward moment. Who's the mule here? But if you, if you are yoked with someone that doesn't have a mutual willingness to make Jesus in charge of their life, if you're yoked with someone who uh, has not made a decision that being like Christ is the ultimate goal, then you're going to have one person in, in a relationship that doesn't want to go anywhere. Please don't look at the person you're with. They, just, they have no interest in movement, right? And the other person who wants to pull that yoke. Okay? And so Jesus is saying, don't be unequally yoked. What does light have with darkness? What does, and he's very direct here, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? So definitely you want someone that is a Christ follower. Now, if you're in a relation, in a marriage, and you're like, uh, this is, I wish I hadn't come today, and you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've been in a relation, I've been married for 20 years, we've known each other for 100 and my spouse has no interest in God or Jesus at all. What do I do? Well, you, you do the same thing if you're a husband or if you're the wife. You do the same thing that Jesus exhorts, excuse me, yeah, Jesus exhorts wives to do with their unbelieving husbands. When I get to the red, if you join me, that'd be great. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over Without words, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And it's, con- it's consistent with men as well, because men are to submit their, to their wives as well. Husbands, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own wives, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. Okay? So, if you're in that place, that space where you feel alone, you feel like there's no hope in your marriage, hey, I want to encourage you. You just keep praying, and you keep making that daily decision of who's in charge of your life, who's going to help you be more like Christ. You keep following him, and and you stay yoked with Jesus and watch Jesus do a great work. One great case in point is, have you heard of all the case for faith, case for Christ, uh, evidences of Christianity, um, that were written by Lee Strobel. While they were at the University of Missouri, and he was studying journalism there, um, after graduation, he wor- went to work for the Chicago Tribune, and his wife came to Christ, and she just patiently waited and started bringing him to services, and eventually his heart opened, and he's on staff at Saddleback, where he was recently. So there's hope. Okay? So if you have someone that you know that needs it, man, there's hope. There's always hope. Great relationships are built from a unified direction. Ideally, make that decision before you get married. I want to be yoked with a believer. I, that's just, that's just this, this is all Jesus' advice, okay? Fourthly, can we fight fair? Can we fight fair? You've got to go through a season to find out what kind of fighter you are. You've got to have, Ray Johnston talks about having four seasons during a courtship, having, having a fall, winter, spring, summer. 
having some time to have to face the, the question of whether or not you have true ability to manage conflict. You've got to go through that. Fools find pleasure in understanding, but delight in... <laughs> that's a downer passage, isn't it? <laughs> I read that, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> How many of you are like me? You're like, I'd love to air my own opinions, right? <laughs> Just me, none of you. <laughs> you guys are so good. This is a no perfect people allowed church for me, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, can we fight fair? Okay, I'm going to try to... Sh- this, these two letters symbolize, the letters X and Y symbolize any relationship, okay? Whether you're single or you're married. And they, their initial construction, the top of their initial construction, symbolizes the beginning of any relationship. Are you with me? This is, so let me just say, is this an algebraic equation? No. no. Is this a, a male chromosome no. abbreviation? No. It, it, no, but not today. Not today, okay? We're simply looking at the construct of the letter X and the letter Y and putting them next to each other. Are we, are we understanding each other? Let me say that one more time. We're simply putting, how many of you are bored already? We are putting the letter X and the letter Y together and asking that you let their construction actually illustrate a truth about all relationships. Okay? We're, okay, that's where we're at. So let's begin really just with the top portion of these letters. Both of these letters have an intersection. They're both, they're constructed the same. There is an intersection. And during, before that intersection, in any relationship, three things happen. Number one, attraction. You're attracted or you're attractive. And let me just say, attractiveness and, and being attracted to is important. It's important. It's what gives you the courage to walk across the room as a single. Or it gives you the courage to start having an asthma attack when someone does walk across the room towards you. Right? Okay. It also, it also is though, a, so attraction's important. By the way, attraction's important in marriage. Nothing wrong with upping your game in that category. Where is she? Okay. All right. Nothing wrong with upping your game, being very attractive to, you, to your spouse, for your spouse. So first there's attraction, then there's history sharing. This is where you're sharing stories about culture, background, what an incredible athlete, uh, how, many, how many scholarship offers you got to Ivy League schools, your SAT score, your, all that stuff. You're sharing stories, right? What your bench press was, how much you used to be able to squat. Great, you're, you're getting to know each other, very important. And then there's obje- objectivity. It's learning both the strengths and weaknesses of each other. You're like, okay, she's really strong here. Maybe she's a little weak there. Are those strengths a trade-up for me, right? And when I met Melissa, I'm like, geez, she is smart. That gal's smart. And gosh, she's attractive. And she's not interested in me at all. I love that. I mean, that was like, that was for me, that's what worked. And she looked at me and she thought, well, he loves Jesus. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) <laughs> All right? So, but she saw that as a trade-up, okay? And we started... So, that was the first upper piece of the construction of these two letters. Then we made a decision to go forward. And there was some conflict in there. During, in, in my sophomore year, I started wondering whether or not I wanted to be in ministry. And I started saying, you know, I'm thinking maybe business. Get into sales. That sounds fun. And she said, well, I'm going to marry a pastor. 
Jesus led me a different direction at that very moment. Okay? So, but you have to have those moments of conflict. And sometimes in the upper area of, this, uh, of, this, of these two letters, there's conflict. There are tremors. Uh, there's getting to know each other. And interestingly, the average couple actually doesn't reach this stage of objectively learning one another's strengths and weaknesses until they've been married three years. And this is something that needs to go on and on in marriage. Like the other day, Melissa and I have been married quite a few decades, and we were, it was a Friday night trying to pick a good film, and I picked one, and then she picked one. She picked Solo. Have you guys seen the new Solo, Star Wars? She said, you know why I like Solo? I'm like, no. She says, I like adventure, but I don't like it to be real. I don't like real, like, gory Hitler type stuff. I like, that sounds really bad, but I, I, not docudrama or documentary. I like fake adventure. And I'm like, really? Me too. Let's get married. You get, so there's this, it's an ongoing learning process. And once you decide, hey, we're going to go together, you go down the same path. You're, you're, you're going the same direction. Versus you go different directions. The bottom of the X, you go different directions. Nothing wrong with that. The bottom half of the Y, you go the same direction. And that's what you want. You want to continue to go the same direction. Now, some of you might be thinking, all right, wait a second, I've been married a, while, a long time. Okay, let me ask a question. Are you focusing on attraction still? Are you trying to be, not, not, not your spouse's attraction, are you working on your own attraction? Remember, this is about us. Are you, are you history sharing? Are you opening up, being real for your spouse? Are you objectifying? Are you learning and listening to your own spouse? Okay, but if you're single, this is the process to find out whether or not you're going to stay together. I like this passage. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the, on the direction? No. I, of course you want to agree. Great relationships are built with great conversations. Very important as you consider um, engaging someone long-term in marriage. Fifth, what about sex? Just in case you're sleeping. Good to see you. Read <laughs> this passage. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let's say that one more time, the last read. For God's holy people. Not a hint of sexual immorality. This is, this is let me just say in advance, I don't think there's a more sensitive topic. And so I just want to say, if any of you have been hurt in this area, I pray Jesus does nothing but heal. And if any of you are here and you're um, discouraged in this area, I pray that Jesus will give you hope. So you're going to hear a few pieces from his words, not mine, not my opinion. I'm going to try to stay away from my opinion here. But I want to share my experience with you, okay? So I wouldn't like, you know, uh, I want, yeah, blah, blah. When Melissa and I were dating, she was the stronger one, okay? As it relates to, um, yeah. And um, so, I'll let, so, jink, let's, let's, let's set that slide aside. Here's what we're going to do. I heard this story, I thought it was really good. Kurt Har- listen, Kurt Harlow at Bayside, at, at Bayside said this. Uh, he was speaking to a high school camp of 500 students, and he um, shared a, um, he was asked to speak on controversial topics. So the first topic he spoke on was speaking in tongues, which was a first century phenomenon that I still think happens, especially for reaching people for Christ in our own age. 
But he talked about speaking in tongues. And gosh, all the students agreed. When they met at the camp shack afterwards, you know, where you get, you know, all those high sugar foods. All the students were like, Kurt, that was awesome. Great message. The next night, he talked about French kissing. Yeah. And he made the argument. It was under the, the subject of ethics. And he argued that French kissing actually um, was a form of intimacy. You guys all know what French kissing is? Okay, good. And uh, I've got a diagram here. No. So, so Kurt said at the conclusion of his message that uh, tons of students came up to him at the camp shack. And they're like this. You show me in the Bible where it says no French kissing. It's a sensitive issue. Sex is a very sensitive issue. And so at that camp, they didn't have a problem with speaking in tongues, but they did have a problem with tongues. So... Melissa and I re- Ooh, got a little laugh out of my son, Jack. He don't laugh at nothing. So here's the deal. My, the truth is, is that in our, in our relationships with others, we're called to live a life like God's holy people. There shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality. And Melissa and I made a decision. We're not even going to kiss. So for, and I was 20 years old and I was good to go. And we, we, we kept that for about six months and then, then my aunt told me we were stupid, and I listened to her, so we started kissing a little more intimately. But that's all. That's all we did. And I'll never forget, we were two weeks out of our wedding, and we were staying at my Nana's house, big old English house in Joppa, Missouri. And I was downstairs, and she got the master bedroom two weeks before we got married, and I thought, I wonder if she's comfortable. I wonder if she's okay. Maybe I should go check on her. And so I went upstairs, walked upstairs, and... And the, the, it was all wood floors, very old home, and I was afraid my grandparents would hear me, and they never followed up. But, and I, I thought Melissa might hear me and freak out, but I just quietly went up those stairs, and I went to open the door, and it was locked. And I thought, how strange, why is that door locked? That's weird. There were no security issues, not a lot of uh, bacon, and egg, bacon and eggs in Joplin. I thought, why is that locked? And I just tapped on the door, and she said, Go away. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that's not how you treat your husband. But you know what? I got to tell you, she helped me where I was weak. And we were able to sow some seeds early in our courtship that we're still enjoying today. See, because now I still want to go to the bedroom. We, we saved it then. So now, oh, I'd love to go to the bedroom. Except I don't knock. <laughs> See, see, we, we preserve something early, and now we're enjoying it now. And it's never too late to really honor this part of your life. But I got to tell you, as a single, you want to stay, um, stay away from any hint of sexual immorality. Now, some of you might be saying, I need a more specific verse. This is my favorite verse in the Bible on sexual purity. Here it is. Let the marriage be bed be honored by all, for God will judge the fornicator and adulterer. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, by the way, who's the judge? Specifically. It's Jesus. He's our judge. So he's the judge. If you're feeling judged by me, don't. Please don't feel that way. Feel motivated by Jesus. He wants you to have a great marriage. He wants you to have a great single life. Here's one of the dangers, though, of how we get to know one another. Go back to the letter X and the letter Y. 
During our attraction phase, if we move right into sexual intimacy there, what we miss out on is history sharing, objectivity, and God's gift of adventure. It gets totally confused. And sometimes we can get into a relationship long term that Jesus really didn't bring together. And so, without marriage. So be careful there. This summer, Melissa and I got the gift of traveling to England, and this is us out front of Eagle and Child in Oxford. That's where Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to hang out. And I can tell you, one of my favorite things that I've told my friends that I love doing this summer was literally just holding my wife's hand, drinking mochas and lattes every morning, and walking the streets of England together. And I think the reason that is possible for any of us and by the way, I, liked it. I did it downtown Sacramento yesterday, too, when we went and visited uh, Temple Coffee. But I think the reason that's possible is because you're building that. You continue to find each other, continue to focus on, a, on being attractive to one another, continue to um, um, history share with one another. She likes solo. Go figure. Continue to, ob- to learn about one another's strengths and weaknesses and appreciate them, values one another's strengths is important. Great relationships are built by high standards. And some of you, I may have really lost you, and so let me just back up and say, do you know why high standards are so important before you get married? Because high standards are so important after you get married. That's why. Let me repeat. The standards don't change. In fact, I would suggest they get higher after you get married. You have, to, you have to really protect your heart. Okay? Make sense? Boom. <clears throat> Number six, there's only 20 points. Is marriage, worth all, is marriage worth all this work? He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Oh, we're called to find. We're called to find as a single, as a married. We're not done finding. Keep finding. I remember this guy's the artist when it comes to relationships. Do you remember that scene when Princess Buttercup said to the farm boy, farm boy, fetch me that pail. How many of you are tearing up right now? <laughs> farm boy, fetch me that pail. And what did he say? Say it with me, men. Oh, we know the answer. This is how you do it. This is how you have a great relationship. This is how you find one another daily. It's as you wish. It's yes, ma'am. That's how it is. Okay, so ladies, if you're, trying to, if you're single and you're trying to figure out if someone's worth it, just say, hey, farm boy, say it with me, ladies. <laughs> Fetch me that pail, okay? Now, there's three reasons marriage is becoming increasingly less popular in culture, okay? It's, this is not a surprise to you. A lot of folks in the future in their 40s won't be married. There's a change to individualism. Folks are wondering, hey, uh, I'd, ra- I'd rather... I'd rather just take care of myself than have to take care of someone else. There's a choice overload problem. If I choose someone, I may miss out on something better or someone better. And the challenge of cynicism that half of all marriages are ending in divorce. Here's, here's what I want to ask you to consider. Solomon said that he who finds a wife finds favor from the Lord. I want to ask this question. Are you actively engaging relationship? Are you finding in a God-honoring way? whether you're single or you're married. Are you, because finding a mate is not a one-time event. Great partners keep finding their mate. Great relationships are built on, say it with me, submission. We su- you know what? My wife submits to me, but guess what? I submit to her too because that's what the scriptures teach us to do. We submit to each other. We put one another first. 
Last one. M I, say it with me, fun. Do you like having fun with your spouse? Right? How many of you would say you're married to someone who's annoyingly fun? Anyone? Okay. Melissa, you should raise your hand on that one. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Do you know what millions of fans missed out on last week on the Super Bowl? The complete SpongeBob. I want to share it with you for a moment here. This is it. Some of you are still wounded because you didn't get it last week. Here it is. What did that have to do with this? (laughs) Nothing. But it's fun. And that's the idea in a relationship. You've got to be willing to be a little spontaneous and do something weird and fun. I'm telling you, funny is the way to the bedroom. Here we go. Great relationships built with lots of laughter. There are scientific benefits. You know, some of you are saying, don't ever want to be married. No way. Science says it's actually better to be married for several reasons. Economic security, personal security, significance, Lifelong health, personal maturity, childhood development, very important. Marriage is tough because it's connected to one of the greatest mysteries of all, Christ and the church. Marriage is difficult because it's connected to one of the greatest mysteries of the world, Christ and the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, these are Jesus' words, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So today's question is this, what are the smart questions singles ask and married couples should keep asking? So maybe of those seven, there's one you're like, I need to do that. I need to laugh more. Where do you get that video? I'm going to play that on the way home on my phone. What are the smart questions? So kind of in a sentence or two, this is how I would ask you to leave today. Are you actively engaging relationship? Are you finding? Finding a mate is not a one-time event. Great partners keep finding their mate they keep finding and you know what is true about a great partner is true about God he has been and will continue to search and do whatever it takes to find you you know that he loves you that much he'll be patient he'll wait he's trying to find you to have a life changing relationship with you and that happens when you accept that when he sent his son Jesus who was the ultimate single When he sent his son, Jesus, who was submissive to his friends, submissive to his parents, and submissive to his heavenly father, 
by his willingness to, to die a substitutionary death on that cross. When you believe that he died for your sins, was buried and resurrected from the dead, you yourself will have been found. Have you been found? Have you been found? If you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance to in just a minute. And I'm going to give you a chance to work on finding here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your willingness to search and to find us. To tear off the roof to find us. To leave the 99 to find us. To spend all your time searching to find us. Lord, help us, if we're single, to find a wife. Because we know that this this emits favor from you. This results in favor from you. How many of you are looking for a lifelong spouse? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone? Okay. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, for those who have said yes, God, I ask that you would give them courage to live an as-you-wish life and find someone special that draws them closer to Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this challenge to continue to find our mate, that the, that the finding is not over. Who here has been challenged to work on finding, discovering, and knowing their lifelong partner better? Anybody? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you, several of you. Father, help those who've raised their hand be enchanted with the uniqueness and dynamics of their lifelong spouse. Give them the energy to really listen and serve. And who here has never made a decision to accept Jesus' effort when he died a substitutionary death for their sins, to be found, to be discovered, to be loved? You've never said, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I want to make you, I want to accept this gift of forgiveness. I want to make you the leader of my life. If that's you, right from where you're seated, I just challenge you to say, Jesus, find me. Jesus, you just find me. You find me. I'm willing to follow you and trust you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to acknowledge it with every eye closed. Would you just raise your hand? Anyone say, yeah, find me. Find me today. I want to be found by you. If that's you, raise your hand. And I want to celebrate your decision. Father, thanks for this glorious morning. Not just to be found, but to find. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen.